thing. I love hearing those feet running out of the church, going to children's church with eagerness. Maybe we should be running into church like that when we show up in the morning. Brock, you were mentioning that, well, we've got the cloudy skies and the sun's going to come out. Those of us who are Nordic, we don't mind the cloudy skies and the cold. You've got to look at things in reverse. You, you know, the, the cloudy skies keep us from getting sunburns, for those of us who are pale. And that little drizzle rain, especially when you drive as fast as I do to church, it kind of gives you a power wash on the way into... So you've got to look at things the right way. It's all perspective. But yes, the sun is coming out, and what a great season. That was the reminder, and a, certainly a reminder from hour one, that our joy is found in the Word of God that's sitting right in front of you. And we have the incredible honor to be able to study it together collectively. We're going to reason together in God's Word today. And the doctrine that is so true, that is filtering through our lives, but is, is running through Scripture, is where our basis for joy is. In this season and in every season. And so what a wonderful thing that that is. And I'm pleased to be here with you this morning to do that together with you. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into the Word of God together. Heavenly Father, we love you. What a great and powerful and mighty God you are. You deserve all of our praise, our honor, all the glory we could bestow on anything should go to you. You alone are worthy of it. We thank you for so many things, but in this season we're so reminded of what we should be most thankful for. The fact that you left the glories of heaven, as we heard read this morning, uh, in Colossians 1, that you made everything for yourself, by your own hand, for your own glory, but you left the glories of heaven to come down here, to humble yourself, to be a human like us, both God and man at the same time, and yet without sin, and then willingly went to the cross that you chose, that you wrote about, that you illustrated in the Old Testament and lived out in the New and that you took on our sin, on your own life, and took the wrath upon yourself, your own wrath. We are thankful for that because we don't deserve it. And that should bring us to our knees, that should humble us, that should give us a heart of thanksgiving and praise and honor and joy. And it should help us to understand that we are in desperate need then on a daily basis of that continued grace that comes from understanding your word, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that then helps us to understand your word and to put it into practice. And today as we study this next passage about how we need to do this together collectively in fellowship, but that there is a basic principle and law of understanding that we will reap what we sow, that this is true collectively about all mankind, but certainly needs to be true and taken to heart by your children, we here who claim your name, who have been redeemed, that you have saved. We thank you that we have your words to give us those instructions. Be with us now as we look at your word. We thank you that we can come together together, to, together like this, in a country like this, to be able to freely listen and study and proclaim your word uh, publicly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians ch- chapter 6. What you sow, you will reap. No, nothing fancy about that title. That's going to come to you very basically. And of course, hopefully you understand that general principle, but I'm going to kind of break it down for us as we go forward. But that's where we're going to be today. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 6 and then going through verse 10. I'll tell you right off the bat, verse 6 seems like it's like on its own a little bit. And it is to a degree, but I think it's connecting verses 1 through 5 to verses 7 through 10. So I think it's ideal for us to start this way, especially as we consider what we learned last week. So Pastor brought to us last week, that's already been mentioned this morning, that we are called to bear one another's burdens. You're to bear your burden too, as Pastor finished with, but we as a collective body of believers are called to love one another. And loving one another is more than just words. It is is action. It is taking action in the lives of other people. And i I got to tell you, as I heard that sermon last week, I was extremely convicted because that's not my default setting. And maybe it isn't yours either. That self is my default setting. That even though I'm redeemed and and I believe in Christ and He's transformed me and he's, He's making me into the image of His Son, I still struggle with the flesh. And don't you too, I would assume. 
I would assume that that was a a conviction for you too, but we're called to care about one another, to be involved in one another, and as my small group talked about that this week, that was really the focus, is how that's so critical in our relationship, and yet sin is just creeping right at the door, isn't it? That it's right there for us. And so as we heard that last week and that great challenge that we are to be involved with other people, we continue that on this week. We're going to see that same principle this week. And so here's what we're going to see today. Here's our very brief kind of overview of what I'm going to outline. And you're thinking, fantastic, there's only three points. This is going to go quick. Don't count on it. But It won't be that bad either. Here's what we're going to look at today. Sowing and reaping. The general concept of that. The very first verse we're going to look at is interpreted in different ways by different people. But I'm going to tell you what I believe this is in context. But that's sharing the excellent, the good things with those who teach and what that might mean. And then verses 7 and 8, the the basic fundamental uh, principle that we're going to try to cover today. Sowing to the flesh versus sowing to the spirit. There are very different outcomes for those two things. And then we end with, and you may think, how is this connected? And we'll see this, that there is a ditch, there is a struggle, there is a problem that can come to the believer of weariness. Weariness in doing even what God's called us to do. Weariness even in that. So, let's read the passage full through, Galatians 6, 6 through 10, and then we'll break that down. Starting at verse 6, if you're there by now. Here's what Paul says to the church in Galatia. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap If we don't give up, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to to those who are of the household of faith. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. So this is where we're at today, and I want to kind of start with a quote. It's an old one, but I think it's a fascinating quote, because what we're going to deal with here and what we're going to see in Scripture today are some laws. Laws, things that are basic principles that we know we can count on to be true. And when we think of that, we oftentimes will maybe think of the scientific world. So I thought it would be kind of appropriate to use a a, a scientific quote. And this one comes from the late 1800s. Now, it's kind of fascinating. This particular quote was given during a commencement speech at Yale. Now, I dare say that if we were to take a quote from a commencement speech at Yale last year, we wouldn't get quite the same quote. However... Back then, there were still some believers teaching there, and this was a particular professor, uh, Dr. James Dwight Dana. And here is his quote, just to kind of give us, get us on the right track about God's laws and laws in general. Here's what he says to these men. Young men, as you face scientific problems, remember that I, an old man who have known only science all my life, say to you that there is no truer in the universe, there is nothing truer, rather, in the universe than the scientific statements in the Word of God. Nothing truer about the laws that we see than what we find in the Word of God. And, and we've just read one. We've just read a basic principle about sowing and reaping. The basic principle about how we love one another. A continuation of what we heard last week. So he's, he's kind of setting the stage for us here. Now, in context, he is talking about them following the Lord rather than, in the late 1800s, rather than following uh, the world and the the pursuits that that would lie there. But that basic principle is going to lead us today as well. So let's look at verse 6. Let's just break down verse 6. I think this is a fascinating verse. Here's what it says. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. I'm going to bring this up in two different versions. The ESV, which I just read from, and then some of you may have the NASB in front of you. It's good things and share good things, and they are identical in in general. But I want you to notice this. One who teaches him or them is the only real difference that we see here. The one who's taught the word is to share all good things. There's really no debate as to what we're looking at here. They are very similar. So you're, you're... Initial interpretation as you look at this, if you just took the passage as it was, just the verse, 
you might say this has something to do with money, that it might have something to do with um, uh, compensation, that it, it, it may be you've been blessed, so you need to bless them as well. That, that may be the, the direction that, that you might be going with this, and that's a possibility. I don't think that that's necessarily wrong, but I'm going to tell you I don't think that that's what the context is driving to. And I want to look at a couple words that we see in here, in particular from the Greek, that I think is going to help us get a, a broader understanding of this particular verse. That it may not be, and, I, and the reason I bring this up is because you may have heard this taught that way. That this particular passage is about a pastor being compensated uh, by his congregation. And there is scripture for that. We will look at that today in brief. But I don't know that that's necessarily what this is. Let's take a look at these two words that, that are broken down for us in Galatians 6.6. 6. The first one is agathios, and that, that's this word excellent, or good things, the term good things. And I want you to, to keep note as we go through some passages, this same Greek word and how it's used in other places in Scripture. So let me just pause here for just a moment. When we study Scripture, any of us, myself, you, all of us collectively, and that's really what this is about, is we studying the Word of God together. Me or whoever else may be teaching, and then you receiving and then teaching back to us in small groups or in conversation as we go forward. Our general rule of thumb is this is the standard. This is the plumb line. This right here is what we know interprets Scripture. So we want to be good Bereans. And you know what I mean by that. We want to be able to search the Scriptures to make sure that that is true, that that is certain. And so that's what I want to think about as we go through this. So I want you to think about this as we go forward, and I'll have this Greek word up on the screen for some of the passages, but here's what that word really means. It means anything excellent, distinguished, upright, honorable, of good constitution or nature. It's useful, salutary, good, pleasant, agreeable, joyful. It's happy. That's a big, broad term, isn't it? That's, there's a lot to that. We know that the Greek gives us a lot of this. The second word is very fascinating, and it's one that I think you're familiar with. This idea, going back a passage here, to good things and the word share. Okay, So let's look at that. This is the root word of koinonia. That's fellowship. That's one another, Christians one another, in love relationship with one another. And here's what this particular word means, with the root being koinonia. To share, I share. Notice it says, not just share, but I share. It's, it's active for me. We communicate. That's a key here. We communicate. We contribute. We impart. To share in with something. To have a share of something. To have fellowship with something. And that, I think, is the key that is going to drive us as we consider the context of the passage. That it is something more than just money. Now, it could be money. Money is involved in this, certainly. Here's what I don't think that it is, though. This is a fantastic passage, if you're looking for one. And by the way, as we're looking for a new pastor, and he may be listening to some of the sermons that his elders will be preaching, don't worry, we intend to compensate you for coming here and preaching to us. So I'm not saying that we're not going to do that. There are a lot of scriptures that help us to do that. By the way, 1 Timothy 5 is very similar to this as well that the laborer deserves his wages. But it, this is what Paul says to the church in Corinth when he's defending his right as an apostle. And he says this, Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Like, I have the right to be paid for what I'm doing. If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more... Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. He's calling it a right that he should or could be paid, compensated, materially speaking, for what he is doing, teaching them, preaching to them the truth of God's word. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. He's choosing not to be paid, but he's saying, I could be, I have the right to be. That passage, without question, is talking about compensating a pastor or a teacher for teaching. But I don't think this passage is talking about that at all. And the reason I don't is because of, the, of course, what we've looked at in the Greek, but also because it's not talked about anywhere else in this passage. Up to this point, you've been going on this journey through Galatians with me and Pastor. We haven't heard anything about money. We're not going to hear anything about money coming next. Now, there are some ways to interpret that. 
sowing and reaping, and I'll show you one that has to do with money, but it really doesn't necessarily have to do with compensating a pastor. We should, but that's not really what this is about. What I think it's about is something even greater than that. Here's what I believe it's about. And as we go forward in this, I want to show you a few things that we looked at last week that is a reminder. Keep in mind, we're continuing this same discussion about how we bear one another's burdens. That what we do here, koinonia, is special. Remember what Christ said. He told his apostles that they'll know you're mine by your love for one another. Right? Our love for one another now, 2,000 years later. That's the koinonia. So let's just take it briefly at a few of these passages. In Hebrews 3, here's what it says. Take care, brothers. Brothers, we talked about that last week. I did. Lest there be any of you who are an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But what do we do? We exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Opportunity, right here, right now. We'll see this later. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right off the bat, what should you be doing with your teachers, those who come and bring the word to you? Exhort them, stir them up, help them to become more like Christ. Help them to become the man that they should be. Help them to become the leader that they should be. We should all be doing that. As we hear those who teach and study the Word of God, bringing it to, to bear in our hearts and in our lives, we should be encouraging them and exhorting them and stirring them up. And of course, we saw this last week as well. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Hebrews 10, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but in encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're going to see this again as we come back around to this at the end, that this is part of what this is. What is excellent and good is stirring it up with one another. Not just out there, but with the man who is bringing the gospel to you each week. Whoever that might be. Whoever that might be. To, we are on the same page. I, I think Zach very well put it that he, he, the army constantly is telling him that he is nothing, that he's not worth anything, that he's not special. And of course we know he's, he's worth something. We think he's worth a little something here, don't we? Okay? God thinks he's worth a little something, but here's the, here's the point he was making. Okay? There's nothing special about us. There's something special about our Savior. Right? We're not worthy of anything that we've been given, and that's from the pulpit down. That's from down up. It doesn't make, we're all in the same boat. We are what? Sinners saved by grace. And we're in this together. I think the passage that we're looking at here is giving us an encouragement that we should be doing that, stirring one another up, continuing to do that as we see the day drawing near. That's the idea behind this. As we go forward, what else? It's also encouragement. So stirring one another up, we'll see accountability come later, but I love this passage because I, can, I continually think of it. I don't know if you're like me, but there isn't a single problem I have that the rapture would not solve. Is that true? Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to escape here. I, don't, don't misunderstand me. But, but as I think of the glorious moment where I see my Savior face to face, and He in an instant teaches me how to fly, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Now, there's a lot of reasons why I can't wait, but I'll tell you what the most, the most important one is. The burden of sin will be gone forever. The fight that I am engaged in and you are engaged in that we will look at as we go forward in the sowing and reaping concept will be gone. That burden will be gone. There's so many other things. Pain, suffering, seeing loved ones, seeing my Savior face to face, but the fact that the true glorification will happen can't wait for that. But what, what's the whole point here? I'm not going to read the whole passage through because you know it. I hope that it's something that resonates in your heart. I want to focus on the end. When we think of the return of Christ for his church, for his bride, what should we be doing with one another with that knowledge, with that truth? What does he say? Verse 18, therefore, knowing Christ is coming for his church to redeem you, to bring you to himself, to fulfill John 14, encourage one another with these words. I'll tell you, as a, as a person who teaches you on a fairly regular basis, there is nothing greater that I can receive from you than encouragement, that the truth of God is true. Do I know it? Yes, I do. But it gets, it, there, there are times as a Bible teacher of teenagers that I need to be reminded that it's worth it, that, that there are times where I, I, I lose track. And it's such an encouragement, and you all do such a good job of encouraging me. Keep doing this. It's good. Remember what we have to look forward to. And Paul does the same thing a chapter later. That's 1 Thessalonians 4. He doubles down on it here. Very similar passage, but he's talking about the wrath of God that's coming and that you're not meant for it. And isn't that an encouragement too? 
as we consider who we are, what we are, what we've been saved for, the hope of eternity going beyond just the, the glories of all of the things we've discussed, but the fact that God took the wrath on himself, the fact that you're not meant for that, and once again, what's Paul's conclusion? Verse 11, therefore, since that's not for you, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And I, I say that to you. I'm, such, I'm so encouraged by how you encourage me as I've taught over the years here. It's an encouragement, but I would say continue to do that with all who teach. That's what we should see. Now let's get back to that Greek word. So I think that's the general idea of what we're seeing here. Let's get back to the Greek word, agathios. So we're going to see this same word used in a few different other places. Notice Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Now we know this one. I've referenced this myself so many times. Keep in mind the context of Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses going the way of the world, but God, verse 4 rich in mercy. He saved you by grace. And then as we get to the end of this passage, we're reminded, exhorted of what we should do. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for agathios, good works. Good. It's not money. It's good things. Good works. Part of the good works we share with one another. You realize that God's put you on earth to do his will, to accomplish his will. Some of his will is to encourage and build up those around you, those who are teaching you, those who are learning with you, those who are serving amongst you, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Same Greek word, Romans 10. Look at this, and I chose the NASB here. I thought it was better. Here's what it says. How will they preach unless they are sent? We know this passage about how we bring the gospel to the world, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Agathios. It's about the gospel. Same Greek word here. It's an excellent thing. I honestly can't think of anything more excellent than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you? That's the good things that we're dealing with here. The good news of good things. That's the agathios. Here we see it again. Hebrews chapter 9. Now this is a, slightly, a slight variant to this same Greek word. But here's, here's what we should find joy in as we heard in, the, in our one. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things, agatheos, this same good thing that has to do with the gospel that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. That's good. That's really good. Redemption is something you should remind each other about. You should remind me about. Remember, you're redeemed. Remember what you've been saved from. Remember what your future holds. Remember what sort of man you ought to be now as you walk in this incredible redemption. Remember who you are and who you're serving. The good things that Christ appeared to do. The fact that he now is the intercessor for us. That he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. That's good. That's excellent. And then I think this is the the most appropriate passage to end with on this section. What should you be sharing with those who teach you? Could it be compensation materially? Maybe. Maybe. If the Lord leads you to that, maybe. If there's something beyond that, certainly that's what we're talking about in other passages. Here's what we should think about personally, and this should be oozing out of our conversations and our relationships, our koinonia with one another. I can't think of a better one than this. Maybe Colossians 3, 1 and 2, setting our minds on things above rather than things on earth. I think they go together. But look at what Paul says to the church in Philippi. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, same word almost, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received. Did you catch that? what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Paul's speaking to those who have heard him teach. And he says, think about those things. They should be oozing out of you. That's where your mind should be set on. So as I reference Colossians 3, 1 and 2, uh, I'm thinking about things above, things that are in, in the heavenly places. These are them right here. This is it. This is your list. This is certainly, if, if I had to guess, and I'm, I, of course I, I wasn't there, as Paul is teaching the, the church in Philippi, as, he is, as he's writing these words, as Paul is pinning this, these sorts of things are popping into his mind as he's, as he's thinking about this as he's writing to the church in Colossae. Similar things are in his mind. 
These are the things we should be thinking about and then doing. And these are the things that we should be encouraging one another with. Paul references specifically that you've heard and seen these things. Share them with one another. Share them back with me. As we go to Paul's very last letter, we're not going to actually go there, but as you think of that, he was very discouraged in his last letter. As he is about to offer himself up, essentially he's a, he's a drink offering, he's about to lose his life, there's discouragement there, but there was encouragement from believers. And he referenced them. Even the teacher needed encouragement on good things, things that were excellent. And of course, he concludes that he was reminded that he is going to receive that crown of righteousness that everyone who longs for the Lord's return, everyone who longs for, the, for seeing their Savior will receive. He's reminded of that from other believers. And that's a, it's a cool thing to consider. Here's how John MacArthur puts this, and I know this is long, but bear with me. Here's what he believes, and I agree with John on this, and generally speaking, when I agree with John, I think I'm on pretty good footing, but here's what he says. Good things, these, is what it, these are what they are, things of moral excellence, things of spiritual excellence, things of truth that all flow out of the Word of God, and you share together in all those things. You're the teacher, and you give him all these things, and together you work them out in your lives. He's speaking to to men who are going to be preaching the word. The word even here shares is koine. You share these things. This is discipleship. It's a mutual sharing of divine truth. It might be public teaching and preaching, like I'm doing right now, personal instruction. It might be through getting them involved in Bible study. It might be through books or tapes or a myriad of ways. But you know the answer to the question, am I my brother's keeper? It's what? Yes, you are. And we're all to be instruments of holiness in each other's lives. That's what this means. It's not just material things. It may be. But you are giving back to those who teach you, but you're giving back at every level. And here's the thing. When we look at this, this isn't just talking about pastors. That's not what it is. This could be you sharing with somebody else, teaching, it with some, to, teaching someone else, or being in a Bible study with somebody. And there's that feedback that you get back from those who you teach. There's a give and a take. I learn from teenagers all the time. Hopefully just the good stuff. But I learn from them all the time. They're seeing Scripture sometimes from a fresh view. Something I hadn't seen. Maybe from a perspective, as long as it's grounded in Scripture, I can learn from them and it's encouraging to me. I think that's what we're dealing with here. And I think that's what verse 6 is talking about. Well, let's move on. Verse 7 and 8. It may seem like these are different topics, but they are not. Paul is talking about how we live our lives amongst one another in koinonia, in in fellowship. And then he says this. He, He almost shifts gears. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Forever, Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And then he says, for the the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Interesting. What we have here is an agricultural metaphor that many of you who grew up on country, in, in, on country roads or maybe in farm families like I did, we are very familiar with this. We understand that what you put into the ground is going to result in something coming out of the ground. Now, we also know this, especially when I grew up, before all the chemicals were put on the, on the, uh, the, the crops and made uh, weeding much easier, there weren't uh, Roundup Ready beans in my day. You know what there were? There were, Marshall, go out and walk the beans and pull all the weeds yourself. That's what we had. And some of you know exactly what I mean. Walking corn and walking beans. You had to put work in. You certainly planted the crop, but then you had to cultivate the crop. You had to work the crop. You had to put fertilizer into it. You had to continue to put into it so that you would reap something good. Now, farmers still do that today, but it's a little bit different than, than when, when I was young. And we understand that principle. It's a principle that goes beyond just Christianity. It's something that, that we understand that is a law everywhere. Uh, I think that when we kind of think about this, it, it supersedes time and space even. So I thought I'd pick up uh, a quote from D.L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody wrote a book literally called Reaping and Sowing, and he wrote this a long time ago, over a hundred years ago, and this is what he says in his, this is right at the beginning of the book. He says, this passage, speaking of the passage I just read, contains truth that no unbeliever or skeptic would dare to deny. There are some passages in the Word of God that don't need any other proof than that which we can easily find in our daily experience. This is one of them. Even if the Bible were to be blotted out of existence, and I'm glad it won't be, 
the words in these verses would be abundantly verified by what is constantly happening around us. We only have to look to the newspaper to see them being fulfilled before our eyes. I remember reading this text once when a man stood right up in the audience and said, I don't believe it. And I said, my friend, that doesn't change the fact that truth is truth, whether you believe it or not, and a lie is a lie, whether you believe it or not. He didn't want to believe it. When the meeting broke up, an officer was at the door to arrest him. He was tried and sent to the penitentiary for 12 months for stealing. I suspect that when he got into his cell, he believed that he had to reap what he sowed. Yeah, he probably learned it pretty quick. Whether he believed God or not, we can see this in life, can't we? You're going to get out what you put into this very specifically. Now, to be honest to the passage, we do have another passage that is about money, and this is about the collection of money for the church in Jerusalem, and Paul does reference the same terms. But I just want to briefly look at this. This could have something to do with money, but I don't think it's necessarily related to verse 6. Here's what Paul says to the church at Corinth, urging them to give generously to those who are in need, and it's certainly at play. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. No doubt about it. That's an absolute principle from Scripture that uses the same metaphor that is absolutely true. That we need to be giving generously to to Christian organizations, to church, to those who are potentially in need, to other believers who we can see that they have a financial need. There's no doubt about that. That's certainly at play here. But once again, I don't think that's what the context is driving to. It's certainly a passage that is true. What I think this is about is more of a spiritual lesson, that we are we are going to reap what we sow spiritually. And the reason I think that we see that is because verse 8 tells us that we're talking about sowing to the flesh versus sowing to the Spirit. It could involve giving of, of your material goods, no doubt about it. Don't want to take that away, but I don't think that's the primary lesson. I think the primary lesson is an old one. It's a very old one. And it reminds me of how the, the prophet Hosea had to tell the the nation of Israel. Now, this isn't Judah. This is Israel. This is during the split. This is during Jeroboam II's reign where the nation of Israel was so far off the rails. They were spiritually so far off of where God wanted them to be, following false idols, pursuing sexual immorality and other things, and the prophet Hosea is warning them. This is about 50 years before the Assyrians take them out, and he's warning them And here's what he uses. Notice the same terminology. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Now we know righteousness comes through a relationship with Christ. They knew this too. Remember, Old Testament saints are saved the same way. They put their faith in the Messiah to come. And you reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You've plowed iniquity. You've reaped injustice. You've eaten the fruit of lies because you've trusted in this. Look at this very carefully as we go through this passage. In your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. Lies your own way and in your own strength. That's what we see. That's the flesh. You can pick your poison in that list, but that's what we do, and we heard this in hour one, when we go after the flesh. There is a constant battle back and forth. And so Paul is addressing the flesh first. Thought David Jeremiah's commentary on this was excellent. Here's what he says. Sowing to the flesh means to pander to it. Listen to this carefully. To cuddle it and stroke it instead of crucifying it. You've got to go to war with it. You heard that a few weeks ago from me. Every time we allow our minds to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company, whose influence we know we cannot resist, Every time we lie in bed when we know we should be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, we are sowing to the flesh. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they don't reap holiness. Hmm. Holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what and where we sow. How interesting, right? It's, It's a fascinating thing to me. It always has been. 
that the God of the universe, who's in control of all things, including my salvation, and has chosen to save me, and has picked me up out of the mire, and has redeemed me, and he has set me up for incredible things, still allows me to defy him. And yet I do. And yet he does. It's fascinating. He wants you to take part. He wants me to take part in this process of progressive sanctification. The Holy Spirit will convict you. The Word of God will penetrate your heart. It will challenge you, and it probably will today, unless I really mess this up. He will, he will challenge you to be different than you were yesterday, but it's up to you whether or not you're going to listen and obey. It's up to me whether or not I'm going to take the Word of God and, and make it have a, an impact on my life tomorrow. That's up to me. That is where I decide, and God lets me do that. Pretty incredible when we think about it. Paul says this in Romans 6, 19 through 21, and I'm going to have you turn to Romans 6 because I'm going to go to Romans 7 in just a moment. It's on the screen, but I want to see the context. So turn with me to Romans 6. It's on the screen, but we're going to be in Romans for just a moment. And then I'm going to, I'm going to have you move around your Bibles a little bit after that. But go to Romans 6. Paul speaks about this in many other places, about the flesh and the battle therein, where we are. As you go to Romans 6, you can see the context for yourself. You can even see the, the kind of the structure of how Paul is laying out his argument. Remember, he is exhorting you and I, and we have, Pastor and I have referenced Romans 6 many times as we've gone through Galatians, the idea of being slaves to righteousness rather than slaves to your sin. The, the truth of the matter, you're slave to something. We all are. And I, I, I pray that you understand being a slave to the Master, to Jesus Christ, is the way to go. But that's the context here. And then he begins to use human terms, and that's why he starts with that in verse 19. But you can look at it as I read it. It says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, I want you to notice that is sowing and reaping right there in the passage, isn't it? Lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Pursuing the Lord leads to progressive sanctification. These are sowing and reaping principles. Right there, right there in front of you, you have either more sin or more holiness. It's a choice. Verse 20, notice it's going to come, he's going to come right back to it. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what, notice he uses the word fruit. Huh. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. He is challenging the believer to don't go back to that. Remember what kind of reaping you got from that. Remember when you sowed to the flesh what that looked like. Remember that feeling. Remember that shame. Remember the corruption. Remember what that looked like in your life. He is reminding the believer. This is extremely important and uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's good to note this. Scott, in our, our uh, small group on Wednesday, he, he brought this to bear as we were discussing that what is church for? It's for believers, isn't it? That we are a body of believers. There will be non-believers who walk into our presence, and they need to be challenged with the gospel. But generally speaking, who's here? We're people who are redeemed that are trying to become more like Christ, that this is a message in Romans 6 and 7 to the believer, not the non-believer, and he is telling you to continue the fight and remember what you were saved from. Remember what you were saved from. This is all going back to how we do this together collectively that has everything to do with this. Now turn to Romans 7. I'll bring the passage up here. This is for believers without question. Now it's a fascinating passage. I reference this here and there uh, throughout my, my sermons and messages because I think it's, I don't know, it just helps. It just simply helps. I think I shared this with our small group as well. I don't like to, to have joy in other people's sin by any means. I don't feel that way. But it's encouraging to note that Paul struggled just like I struggled. And this, without question, is Paul speaking of his post-redemption story, not his pre-redemption story. Paul is not speaking in Romans 7 about something that happened to him in the past before he was saved. He's talking about how he lives today. Now, I want to caution us before we even look at the passage. There are, there are some who would take this in a very liberal way and say Paul is talking about something they would call um, Greek dualism. And what, what I mean by that is you have both spiritual, the spiritual side of you and the fleshly side of you, and that 
eventually Gnostics come into this in that there's nothing good about the flesh, which we would agree, but the, the spirit side of you the, the, is, is all good. So what's the difference? Just sin all you want because it's not going to matter anyway and you can't control it and you can't stop it. That is not what Paul is saying. How do we know? Because we have the whole book right here. And he challenges us page after page after page that we don't do that and we go to war with our sin. But what Paul is telling us is there is a real war going on inside each and every one of us as believers, and this is really important to understand here. So let's take a look at it. I'll read it through, and I think it just speaks for itself. Verse 15, we could pick this up in a variety of places, but I'm going to choose right in the middle. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, verse 18, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I don't want is what I keep on doing. Does this sound like you sometimes? Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law, notice how we started this whole thing today, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, I love it, I hope this is what you feel too, in my inner being, but I see in my members, my flesh, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. I I hope you feel verse 24 personally. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But he gives us an answer right away, and a reminder right away. I'm going to remind us of what we heard in hour one. Doctrine is where joy comes from. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I'm in a fight, and I know I'm in a fight. Verse 24 is a fascinating passage. Some of your commentaries, if you have a study Bible, it might tell you a little bit about this. He may be tapping into a tradition of those at the time, uh, or at least one that they were aware of, that in some of the cultures around uh, Israel, that if a murderer was convicted and the victim were still there, the dead body, he would have to strap it to himself and carry it around for a certain amount of time. And that if I read verse 24 again, it says this, Wretched man am I, who will deliver me from this body of death? This reminder of death that you keep with you all the time. This idea that you would be keeping this dead body that is your fault. And that is how we feel at times, isn't it, believer? When we go back to a sin that we thought we had whipped, that we thought we wouldn't go back to again, that we, we continue to struggle with something that we have been working on and fighting. and Well, that is the fight. That is the war. And I, I mentioned this earlier, we have the hope of eternity. We have the hope of there's going to be a day where that's gone, that God takes that away from us. But the fight is real right now. It's legitimate right here, right now. And Paul continues this, but gives us some better instruction here if you turn with me to Ephesians 5. So I'm going to have you do a little, your fingers are going to do the walking today. Those of you who remember yellow pages, go to Ephesians chapter 5. I do still remember yellow pages because I don't have a phone. But some of you remember them too. In the days before you Googled things. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I'm giving you 1 through 17 so that you can look at that in context. We're going to pick this up at about verse 8. Just to kind of give you an idea about what Ephesians 5 is talking about. Again, our 1 told us about this. That from Galatians 5, we saw these sins of the flesh which are evident. And I, I, as Pastor did a few weeks back, I'm not going to go through these sins of the flesh that we know are evident. I'm going to pick it up right after that, but you can see the context of it. Look at it, verse 8. Okay? We don't become partners with them in verse 7. Those who are walking in the flesh could be us if we're struggling. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are lights in the world. Walk as children of light. This is an exhortation to the believer. Clearly, some of them weren't doing this. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Pause. What did we talk about at the beginning of this passage? What are you to share with those who teach with you? Those things that are excellent and good. What did we talk about that is good? Those things that are above, that list that we saw. That's what we're talking about here. There's no question that's what Paul's referencing here. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part 
in the unfruitful, look at that word, fruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. The light, by the way, is the word of God. Anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look careful then. Believer, this is to you. Look careful then on how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. We're going to see this come back around at the end. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. From some very direct instruction about sinning and pursuing the flesh versus pursuing the Spirit. So let's shift to the better half of this. So we know what we're called to do. We've got to be disciplined in this. We've got to be walking in the Word. But here's the best part. Okay? This is what we are to do. We are sowing to the Spirit. Go to John chapter 4 because we're going to be all over John here for just a moment. We're going to make a run, fast run through John. Okay, a fast run through John. But go to John 4. John 4, 35. I've got this on the screen, but we're going to be in other places in John, and I'm going to require that you move a little bit in John, but it'll all be in the same book. John 4 is where we're starting. Here's what it says. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Notice that same imagery, that same metaphor, talking about the harvest. Most people think Jesus makes this quote probably around January, December, somewhere in there. We're in Israel. They had planted and they were waiting for a spring harvest. They're in Samaria. This is coming right off of the, uh, his encounter with the woman at the well. He says, don't say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. He's talking about sharing the gospel with those around you. Sowing to the Spirit, you and I, walking with the Lord, the progressive sanctification is for a singular purpose, to give glory to the Lord and proclaim the gospel and make disciples. That's what you're here to do. You are here to do that together in Koinonia. But we are here to deliver the good news, eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. We're in this together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Another connection that we see very clearly. We are, we are sowing the gospel into people's lives by action, deed, thought, interaction, speech, everything we do, and the things that we do together. Okay, now I'm going to bring up these passages that we're going to hustle through, and I want you to notice this is all about eternal life. Jesus makes a hyper-focus, puts a hyper-focus rather, on the hope of eternal life. And this is just going to be quick, but you can do it with me. John 5, and I've got them in order, so I've made it easy for you. Probably should have made this a sword drill. That would have been fun had you stand up and read it, but that could have been fun. John, 5, I wouldn't want anybody to feel bad, so we won't do that. Plus, I don't have candy to give you like I used to do with the little ones. Some of you might argue with me for that. All right, John 5, 23 through 25. Let's go through these. Verse 24 tells us that the Father judges. Verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's good, and you share that with people. It's about eternal life. What we do, what we put into our lives, what we make ourselves, we allow the Holy Spirit to make us into is ambassadors of the king. Go to John 6, next chapter over, 26 through 29. You're going to see the same hyper-focus from Christ. Okay, Here's what it says. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, but not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, speaking of, of the feeding of the 5,000. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that is in, endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. It's things about eternal life. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing this works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in me, in him who, sent, who has sent, he has sent. He's saying, believe in me. That's eternal life. Skip ahead in the same chapter, verse 39. Let's hustle through these. Verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should be, lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have what? Eternal life, and will raise Him up on the last day. Are you seeing a theme? Verse 45. 
as it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, I say to you, whoever believes has what? Eternal life. Eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Verse chapter 10. You're seeing a theme. Chapter 10, and we're going to stay in 10 for just a second here. Chapter 10, verse 27. Love hearing those pages turn. 1027. Look at this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them what? Eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Beautiful. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And then John 17, last one from the high priestly prayer. Here's what we see. John 17, 1 through 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said to the Father, The hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given them authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Huh. That seems like sowing to the Spirit has the hyper-focus of leading people to eternal life. What an incredible job you and I have. What an incredible honor you and I have. That when we understand that our daily walk with Christ, that we do together, has the, has the outcome of, of the reaping of people coming to know Jesus as their Savior, from their lives turning from darkness to light, from despair to joy, that you get to take part in that, that He's equipped you for this, that, that this is something that is, that is given to you as a gift, as grace, that you get to take part in this, that we have this opportunity. And if we go back to John 10, I'll bring this one up. If you want to go there, you can. It's more than just the opportunity to preach the gospel. We can live out the gospel in our life because what we have is different than what everybody else has. Look at what he says in John 10 in that same conversation that we looked at earlier, a little earlier in John 10. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and I will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That this this life that we live, this reaping to the Spirit, this sowing to the Spirit and then reaping, is daily joy, contentment, and peace walking with Jesus no matter what your circumstances. And the people of this world that are desperate to have an answer, they will see it in your life. That if you really live that out, if you are putting into your life the Word of God and putting it into practice and doing this together as believers, this will be noticed by the people around you and they'll say, what is that all about? Tell me what you're about. Tell me why this is happening to you. What is this life abundantly for you? And we're going to understand that what David understood when he understood his own sin in Psalm 51, he says this, and he comes to an incredible conclusion. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Most think he wrote this after his sin with Bathsheba. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. We have a promise from God in John 10. He would never do that. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Remind me of that. The joy of your salvation and to hold me with a willing spirit. Then what? I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. We remind ourselves of the gospel. Pastor has said it so many times up here. We re-preach the gospel to ourselves. For what purpose? So that we have the joy of his salvation and we can share it with others. That's the purpose. That's the purpose. But here's what we end with. This, This job and doing this can cause us to grow weary. There's a ditch of weariness that we can fall into, and every believer can. Here's what we see in verse 9 and eventually in verse 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, Galatians 6, 9. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The NASB says it slightly differently. Don't lose heart in doing good. Grow weary, lose heart, same concept. In due time, due season in ESV, we will reap if we do not grow weary. Uses the same term and they flip-flop it if you notice. Okay? He, th- he uses growing weary at the end there. The ditch of weariness is a real ditch. The, the temptation to fall into it, even in seasons like Christmas, is a real temptation. But Paul is exhorting us not to do that. Quote from Aunt Dr. Andy Woods, he says this, The funny thing about the law of sowing and reaping is this, 
There's not an immediate return on investment. The seed goes into the ground and we don't see the harvest right away. In fact, those who are involved in agriculture and farming know that there are months in between those two things. So when we work spiritually to put the seed in the ground, proclaiming the gospel, preaching the word, doing what we just were exhorted to do, okay, we might say, I don't see it. I don't see the results. But Paul says, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Because you don't see an immediate return on your investment. Because the law of sowing and reaping is established by God and it requires patience, long-suffering, and faith in God's word in order to, be, to understand the fruit of your labor. And let me just say this. It may not be till eternity that there is a possibility that you doing the work of the Lord, that you sowing to righteousness, living a life that is worthy of the calling, doing all that we've just been exhorted to do by Paul, preaching the gospel through your words, your deeds, your life, you may not see that return. It's possible you won't see it until you're with Christ, until you have the, the broader view, the cleaner view, the eternal view that he has. But he's telling us, and Paul is telling us, don't grow weary. This is an important thing. And why shouldn't we grow weary? Second Thessalonians 3 tells us, as for you, brothers, don't grow weary in doing good. Here's why. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Don't regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Why should we not grow weary? Your brothers and sisters need you. They need you for accountability. They need you to build them up. We can't all be weary at the same time. God's called us in fellowship in koinonia, and he's called us to, to hold each other to account. He's called us to, to, to stir one another up. He's called us to do this, to remind one another of the promises. I'll come back to 1 Thessalonians 5, as we heard earlier. It's the second passage, but we looked at that earlier today. Encourage one another. Build one another up, just as you're doing. That's the encouragement that we need at times because we grow weary. But back to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Speaking of the rapture again, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's a reminder that we must remind one another of. This is something that we can lose sight of very easily as we're working for the Lord, accomplishing His will. And we can't always see it when we're in the weeds. We can't always see it when we're in the war. But that's what we need to do with one another. We've got to build each other up. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but take a look at Hebrews 10 or 12 very quickly. Notice what we should be doing. And this takes us back to what we have our minds on. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so, such a great cloud of witnesses, this incredible hall of faith in chapter 11, many giving all for Christ, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And what do we do? We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We look to Him. We consider what He did. We keep our eyes on things that are above. We consider the struggle He went through. We consider the sacrifices He made. And this is the reason we do that. And this is verse 10. Because there's opportunities in front of you. Look at Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, while we have opportunity, then Asby says, you will have opportunity is what this is saying. There's no question God's going to give you opportunities. While the time is ripe, and it's right now, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are to the household of faith. And I think this is very important to consider this. The word opportunity here, carry on. The opportunity, that's occasion, a distinct, fixed period of time. I don't know if you guys realize this, but you're not going to live forever. Not in this body, and not in this side of eternity. This time to proclaim the gospel is only now. You won't need to proclaim it in eternity. Everybody there that you will interact with will be redeemed. Your opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and live it out is today. It's here. It's while you're alive. It's in the moment, and it is fixed for just a certain amount of time. Now, I can't tell you how long that is. The Lord could return right now. That'd be awesome. Fantastic. Any day, any place, I'll take it. You may die today. I don't know. God knows, but he knows that he's given you a certain amount of opportunity, a certain amount of opportunities to do this incredible work that he's called you to do, to do it together. And here's what we see, John 4, 13, and then Romans 12, and I'll end here. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. He says in Romans 12, 
Here's this love that you have to have, this love that makes you distinct, this love that you have for the fellow believer to encourage them, exhort them, hold them accountable, to give back to them these excellent good things. Here's what that love needs to look like. It needs to be genuine. You abhor what is evil, much like Ephesians 5. Hold fast to what is good. You love one another with a brotherly affection. And look at this. You outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That Romans 12 passage sums it all up for us today. You pick which one of those things you want to be zealous about. I say pick them all. I say pick them all. Be this sort of believer, brother, sister, this sort of Christian that is going to be the example to the world around them, and you're going to love your brothers and sisters. You're going to uphold them. You're going to encourage them with scriptures. You're going to, you're going to use God's word to make an impact on your life and the lives around you. And in doing so, you're going to reap a harvest. Maybe one you'll see, and maybe one you'll see in eternity, but it's worth it. And don't grow weary in doing that. Blessings and, and honor go to the Lord only, but he's given you this opportunity to do this today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunities, the time, the moment that you've given us today. We pray that you give us the strength to do this, that we help one another do this, that we exhort one another to do this, that the excellent things we share with one another, and we know those excellent things come from your word. They come from the conviction of your Holy Spirit. They come from what you teach us in your eternal word. And I pray that we are active members of the body that are helping one another accomplish these goals. And those who are weary today, and I know there are some, in doing good, I pray that you'll inspire the, the, the others in here to encourage them, to lift them up, to build them up, to, to come underneath them, and to help them become uh, the man or the woman of God that you've called them to be today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.